We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. What's up, guys? Andrew Claudio here once again with a quick programming note. If you're listening to this and haven't heard part one of this two-part episode, go back into your KFS podcast feed and double check that you haven't missed part one of Cap or No Cap trading for a superstar. This episode is part two. So hopefully you've already heard part one where John um, made it clear who he believes is a superstar and isn't in the league. And Jeremy and I tried to make sense of that. Uh, Here in part two, you're going to hear... Jeremy has a conspiracy theory regarding cap or no cap and when the Knicks might be ready to trade for a superstar. Um, I also bring back the conversation to who John may or may not think is a superstar regarding regarding um, one point God. I'm leaving that in. I'm not editing that out. You're welcome, everybody. This is the unfiltered, the unedited version of the intros, the programming notes here for the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, and since I'm making this so self-involved, you also get a producer's corner, um, a draft-themed producer's corner because the NFL draft was this week. My team did really well. I think both New York football teams did really well. And I decided to go through NBA history, specifically Knicks history, and look at how many times they have had multiple first-round picks and who those picks might have been. Without further ado, hopefully you've heard part one. Here is part two of Cap or No Cap, Trading for a Superstar.
It actually brings me to a conspiracy theory that I have that I'd love to share. Oh, boy. So, you remember last year's draft? I know you do. 2021 NBA draft. Knicks had two draft picks. It was the 19th pick and the 21st pick. We saw the reports. We knew they were interested in a player like Chris Duarte. To me, and I know to you as well, the Knicks were never using two picks in the draft. It was nope. not going to happen. They were going to deal something. So here's the first thing. Let's look at the cap holds for four picks. And mind you, these cap holds are going to be taking place in 2025. Oh, hold on. Mm-hmm. This is going to be insane, isn't it? It might be, but who cares? Hey, you're snotting. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. Listen, it might be, again, I said it's a conspiracy theory. It might be absolutely ludicrous. And you might be like, again, this is just never going to happen. Or you might walk away being like, okay, he he has a convincing. Listen, what every other one of these, you're like, you know what? The madman has done it again. Okay, so I'm I'm with you. So you we have the cap holds for for the 12th, 19th, 21st and 25th. Great. Okay, I can't wait. Let's go. I can't. So the 12th 12th pick cap hold. Why is that significant? Again, the Knicks had interest in Chris Duarte. Where did Duarte get drafted? 13th. So I'm assuming that the lowest place that the Knicks had to leapfrog the Pacers to get Duarte would have been 12th. And by packaging 19 and 21, they would have gone and gotten Duarte and his cap hold in 2025 for, for about $10 million less would be 27, 17.9. Yes. And mm-hmm. the cap holds for the 19th pick and the 20 and the 21st pick would have been a combined 27.5. Yeah. And then you look at the 2021 25th pick. That's where Quentin Grimes was drafted. That's 12.9. So, I mean, we're looking at a difference of almost $15 million between the 21st pick, the 25th pick, excuse me, the 25th pick and both the 19th and the 21st pick. Now, I know that a lot of people seem to have this impression of the Knicks trading that 19th pick out and in terms of what they got back. And look, I would love to have been a fly in the room. Here's merely my theory, and I will let you have at it. I think that the Knicks realized that they could not package both picks. And so what they did was they said, we don't love the offers that we have, but let's do it. It wasn't so much a panic move. It was like, honestly, this is a better option than before. So they traded the 19th pick to the Charlotte Hornets and got a protected pick back. They didn't want the pick to convey and the Hornets were a little concerned about how they would do. And rightfully so as that pick stays protected this year. I mean, Knicks don't even own it, but that's the point. The Knicks said this asset is better down the line that I think we've all agreed upon. Yes. But then it's, well, what happened to the asset? It was traded along with Kevin Knox for Cam Reddish. And the Cameras trade says two things to me. Number one, the Knicks realized that they desperately needed more length. They needed a guy like Cam, and that was yep. very much exposed by the lack of versatility at the three spot and you know, all these things. But but it wasn't maybe that they had their eye on Cam Reddish to such a point where they want to continue with him forever. And that brings the second point, which is what if the Knicks felt that they could get more value out of Cam Reddish? as a trade asset this summer than they would if they had had the Hornets pick because the volatility of when that might convey was so tricky that, you know, maybe that pick eventually becomes two seconds. I I still think it will convey before then it will be a first, but maybe it does. Maybe the pick winds up being 15th overall, 16th overall, 
Do you bet more on the upside for Cam Reddish, even as he enters his next contract? Or do you bet more on a rookie scale contract for a guy who's picked 16th? I'm with you so far. I think, I think, I think this checks out so far. Okay. So they, they thought Cam would have higher Reddish than the first. Okay. Keep going. So again, by kicking the can down the road, Nick saved 2025 money because we're eliminating one of the cap holds and, and whatnot. And then Here's the thought, right? Like if Reddish is going to be paid in 2023, which he would be, um, the expectation he's is he would be under contract in 2025 because they wouldn't sign him to a two-year deal and then he's expired. Yeah. Um, that would just be poor business. And he's likely earning. I know he had a, a not the best season this year, but you'd have to think that a player like him would be earning more than the $14.6 million difference between the 19th and the 21st cap holds and the 25th cap holds. Him- I mean, Cam is either going to be a minimum player fighting for a contract or is going to make something in excess of $14.6 million. So yes, I would agree that he will, he would earn more if, if he continues to progress would earn more than the difference between uh, those picks. Yes. And look at the last two big clutch guys, right? Lonzo ball didn't sign an extension. He did a pretty good job getting paid. Uh, Miles bridges is going to get paid heavily. So there's something to be said of like, even when you see these markets that they're, they're teams that might be like, you know what? We don't get big free agents. Let's throw Cam Reddish $18 million a year. Cause we're happy to do it. And if worst case scenario, like he's a rotation player with the salary cap, we're fine with that. Like a team like Detroit, a team like Orlando, whatever it might be. Just as an example, he, he, he needs to play and look decent, but he does. Sure. But the question is, will he even get that opportunity to do I, that? We'll, we'll find out. Well, let's because, keep going. Because moving Cam Reddish this year, before he enters restricted free agency, and you have this, you know, weird timeline of like paying him and not and all that. Like, do you package him in a deal with your pick this year as an attempt to move up? Because if you're the Knicks and you say again, Cam Reddish and this year's pick is a better offer in their mind than say that Hornets pick and this year's first. Again, I, I don't know, but I think that's at least the train of thought where that Hornets pick could be anything, but it could also be two second rounders and it could convey years from now. Cam Reddish is Cam Reddish. The, the hope is the upside. And you also hope that a player will at least net you something. Or another example, we know that the Knicks were considering and close to final. Well, I don't, I don't know if I should say no, close I, to finalizing, they were, but they were, they were very much in deep conversation about flipping Alec Burks and Cam Reddish to the Lakers as part of a three-team deal that would have they, what they were hoping to do was net them two second-round picks, which again it goes back to the theory of that Hornets pick was the best they felt they could do. It wasn't so much a panic move if you want to call it whatever. I don't want to quibble. And then you basically get Cam instead, and then you change out Cam to a team like the Lakers that loves clutch clients and can sell it on a future with Cam. And then you use that asset to try to build up and trade up in the draft, which if you remember from the whole superstar conversation, what was the very first thing that I had mentioned, John? You could draft a superstar. You could draft a superstar. Can we just add, I I don't, unless you know some reporting that I've, I've forgotten, um, isn't are we at least led to believe that the reason that trade did not go down is because the Knicks were pushing for more slash better draft compensation? So in theory, instead of pushing for two seconds, they, the rate the reason the trade may not have happened is because maybe the Knicks held firm at a we want a first in this trade potentially, but also based on the fact that again, as I've said before, the contracts that are potentially expiring deals they are all more favorable as expire as potentially expiring deals than they were 
last season when we were in the thick of it, when things seemed worse. Like yeah. now when you look at the free agent market, because it's pieces move a lot more freely over the summer. And I'm sure the Knicks felt that they could revisit this and get something similar because now the Lakers are, for example, dealing with a situation where they have to get Russell Westbrook off. Again, if you look at where the Knicks are positioned and, and then if they do trade up, if they trade reddish and their 11th pick, let's say the Kings, they're picking seventh. They have very few wings on their team. They have alienated Dante DiVincenzo due to the fact of how they basically didn't play him. And he's saying that they have screwed him out of potential earnings because they've diminished. Oh, is that a thing? I haven't even been Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So again, by them. If, if you're the Kings, you're like, well, this is a sticky situation. We will probably retain him, but we need more wings to begin with. And you can sell me on Cam Reddish and we get the 11th pick. And all we have to do is trade down four spots. Like, that's something that really appeals to us. Sure, we could do that. And then if you're the Knicks, maybe you have the seventh pick now. Maybe you see a player with a superstar ceiling or even a star ceiling because, again, you're focusing on the timeline of the younger core and how you can best build around that. And it would also save you money in 2025 because if Cam Reddish is being traded and replaced by a 2022 prospect, they're going to be on their rookie contract through 2025. And you're probably, if like, if the pick is between five and 15, hypothetically, um, again, I know the Knicks are likely picking 11th based on the lottery odds and they can't even fall to um, 15. But yeah. even if we take that scenario, uh, th- that player is going to earn between six and $10 million in 2025. And if we just talked about Cam Reddish potentially earning more than $14.6 million. And this is what the second year into his deal, 30, third year into his deal. We're probably looking at a guy who is earning, who would potentially be earning 18, $19 million, just based on the nature of the contract. So you're saving money and you're investing maybe in players that you prefer more. And that's the philosophy of like where you could get there. But I, I want to take a pause because I have more, but I, I just want to kick it back to you. Cause I know I've been talking about this I, for a bit. No, I, it, at at the very at the very I, I I'm I'm not sure if I'm all in on the 2025 conspiracy theory. I I appreciate it and I get it and I don't think it's completely nuts. From a, from, but I'm I'm gonna go a little bit more I guess macro and say the, the keeping Cam around definitely goes. It, it, that is one road that they could take, which will entail certain things. The first of which is. Paying camera, if, if, if presuming he does well, you're either then okay, well, then we flip him at the deadline, which like okay, I guess you could do that, or you or you um pay him um next summer. I could absolutely see a world where they are looking to move on from Cam this summer for all of the reasons we've already talked about, um, involving roster crunch. And if it also if it uh serves two masters, this being the other one, then you know, all the, all the better it, it would. And, and plus it's like RJ Barrett, Evan Fournier, Quentin Grimes, those three play. none of those three players are going anywhere. And those three players are going to RJ Barrett's playing all the minutes he can handle. Uh, Evan Fournier just averaged whatever he averaged 28, 30 minutes a game. Uh, we know, we know uh, Tibbs likes to play Quentin Grimes. We've, you've, we've already kind of touched on the fact that we don't necessarily think they think of cam as a full-time backup four. Uh, maybe I'd love to be proven wrong, but like if there is a guy of the quote unquote young core that all the signs are pointing to like, yeah, this guy might be on the move this summer. It is unquestionably can before anybody else. I think it should, at least I think that's the direction that they would 
good going. Um, but I want to take a second, quick step back, and actually talk about Brock Holler. <laughs> of course. So here's the thing. When Brock Holler was with the Cavaliers, there were four contracts that were of note. Uh, basically, the way that the Cavs have typically operated was, let's just extend beforehand so these guys don't hit free agency, so we don't have to worry about sign-and-trade situations or money, or let's just let's pay them. And then we have the team control. So Kevin Love, right? But what's interesting about Kevin Love's contract is with these other players as well is it wasn't a standard ascending contract, right? It was the structure was A B B A. 31 million, 28 million, 28 million, 31 million. Jordan Clarkson, similar. Uh, it was ascending and descending as well, but it was like A B A C, 12.5, 11 something, 12.5. 13 something. Uh, but to keep in mind, Clarkson was extended by the Lakers, not the Cavaliers. But then you got two contracts that really stand out to me. And it's Chetty Osman and Larry Nance Jr. Both of them were signed to contracts that descended in terms of the raises that a player could earn. The last year of Osman's was actually non-guaranteed. Okay. And so these are two guys on their second contracts where the amounts are, are just they're declining. And then you look at the Knicks and you look at what they did last year, right? It was extending Julius Randle, bringing in Evan Fournier, re-signing Derrick Rose, getting Alec Burks uh, to re-sign, bringing in Kemba Walker and re-signing their own Snowell. All of those contracts were ascending, which is very different from what the Cavs were doing. Um, and granted, some of these players had a player option, specifically Julius Randle, and several of these players had a team option. Uh, all of them, not named Julius Randle and Kemba Walker. But where it's fascinating is that these were not second contracts. These were third or fourth contracts for a lot of these guys, maybe even more, like if you're Derrick Rose. And so it's fascinating to me when I see the young core, how the Knicks might operate in terms of signing or re-signing these players when the time comes and how that will impact 2025, which is when we seem to think that there might be more uh... available. So you're thinking we're going to see some descending contracts? Potentially. Well, here's the thing. We're probably not going to see descending contract for RJ. Um, It might be ascending, but it also might be stagnant, right? Like, I know you've talked about $30 million a year. It could just be $30 million across the board. There could be some some funky math that goes on where it decreases and increases and whatever. They could be creative, as we just saw, like ABBA structure. And you know what that would get me to say? Mamma mia. ABBA. Oh, ah, but yes. Okay. There Come you go. On. Sorry. Took me a second. That was good. Absolutely. That was good. No sales. No sales job here. Uh, Continue. Here you go again. My, my. Um, ascending Take a chance on me, uh, yeah. Jeremy, please. That's true. <laughs> uh, and then we go back to the conversation of trading Reddish. Maybe that happens. But then it's also for OB and Emmanuel Quickly. Maybe when they get paid, it's descending raises. The same thing where we're looking at clearing more money later. And if structured properly, the Knicks can have their cake and eat it too. So let's assume very quickly, just again, I'm not saying this will happen. I'm just, I just want to create a scenario. Throwing it out there. Just having some fun. Trade Julius Randle. This summer. This summer. They find a way to get Jalen Brunson four years, a hundred million dollars. Again, I I don't even think Jalen Brunson will get a hundred million. He might, he could also get 90. I just, I want to create a world in which there is more money operating yeah. with than less. Uh, and let's say they extend RJ to four years, 120 million. 
Toppin gets, I don't know, four years, 77. Reddish, 470. Quickly, 470. Um, and then Robinson, Mitchell Robinson gets four years and 49 million. And now this obviously is assuming they, they that Reddish stays. They can't extend uh, some of these guys this summer. You're, you're talking about within the Generally, next year or so. Yeah. Yes. This, this summer, next summer, both those years. Um, and then don't factor in these things, right? Future first round picks, Jericho Sims, Deuce McBride, Rockus Yokobitis. Just kind of let's stick to the, the more meat of it all. Okay. So let's look at the ascending with the money that we had in consideration, right? Um, it gives you almost $20 million to spend if you keep Quentin Grimes on the books because his cap hold, as we talked about, is about $12.9 million. But then you also have to factor in the possibility of the four additional first round picks between 2023 and 2025. It'll shrink it a bit. But like here, there's an estimation of the salary cap. This was reported. Maybe it stays true. Maybe it doesn't. But just going off of this number, um, $171 million in the 2025-26 season. So it's worth noting that if we did ascending contracts for all of these players, that the Knicks still only have like $20 million to spend in a year where like they either have to go big or it's a problem. The first year, Max, just so... We're all on the same page. So uh, the I f- forget what how many years of service those players that we talked about would have, but they're all going to be either in the seven to nine or the uh, what 10, 10 plus range, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so that's either thirty or thirty five percent of the cap. Thirty percent of um, one hundred seventy one million dollars is fifty one, fifty one, fifty one about three. Yeah, so you're talking about a first year max starting at $50 million, which is obviously a lot more than $19 million. Right. Which means you have to execute a sign and trade. You have yeah. to do it or else it's not going to work. But what if we did it differently? What if we had the, these players making the same exact money that I just mentioned, but on descending deals outside of RJ, who would be stagnant? And again, the reason right. RJ would be not descending is because it would mean he's earning more than the max that he would be allowed to earn, which obviously can't happen. So even if we, we want to keep him at 30 a year. Right. Yeah. So again, we just opened up $7.2 million in cap space just by doing descending contracts and RJ Barrett having a 0% raise across the board every single year. <laughs> I just noticed how much you're playing, paying top and quickly you're paying those boys a lot of money. Again, well, you're, but it's similar to the conversation we had before just altering it here. Like if Obi Toppin is starting, yeah, and he's playing no, well. Yeah. Like maybe he does make maybe four years seventy seven million. John Collins yeah. just made five one five years one hundred twenty five million dollars. Uh, if Emmanuel quickly again, but that's also the thing I'm saying. I'm trying to over yeah. Um, so you're overshooting it. Okay, right. Just as an example of how we can do that. So just by the descending, we've we've done well here. What if we now do the descending factors except for RJ where it's stagnant at zero percent, and we traded Cam Reddish? That's thirteen point three million dollars more. That we did. And by the way, again, factoring in the seventh pick overall in 2022, because this is the scenario I'm saying where Cam Reddish and 11 or seven, hypothetically, of course. Okay. Now we're at $40.2 million in cap space. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's just under where we need to be for the zero to six years. That's more restricted free agents. So that's not necessarily going to happen. But it's also not too far away from the max that we're saying for the seven to nine year guys, or even still, if you needed to get much further to get to the uh, 10 plus year players who are earning 35%, you could do that, right? Like 
we ta- we're talking about Jalen Brunson making four years, $100 million. If he's making $90 million on a descending contract, you could probably shave two to $3 million off of the amount. And that's more to work with. If Quickly and Toppin aren't making the amounts that I listed, that's more to work with too. Like there's even something and- to be said as wild as this is. And I know it would make a lot of people angry and me too. But here's a thought, John. What? What if the Knicks don't move Julius Randle as we talked about last time? And what if they have Obi coming off the bench, but in a greater capacity than he did? Again, I still don't see how they can make it work. But but, but play but play along. Let's go with it. Sure. And basically, Obi is in a smaller role. And then after his third year, the Knicks come a knocking and say, "Listen, Ugh. we want to extend you." And then they basically try to catch lightning in a bottle by suppressing the amount that he has. It's not an avenue I want to go down. I would rather I, I do think- this. And I think, I think they should do this. I, I think if Obi Toppin is, or I think if Julius Randle and Obi Toppin are both on this roster to start next season, uh, one of them will be off of off of it by the trade deadline. Yeah, uh, sure. Again, I, I think it's not the way to go. I would not do it that way. But like, if you're talking about suppressing a player's value and then signing them, or at least hoping to, maybe Obi even says, "I want to bounce. I, I want to try to prove myself." And it's just a business, and they do that, and they don't extend him. But but this like this is what I'm going at, or I mean, I Mitchell think Robinson, maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe there's a team option and the Knicks decline it and they find another player that they could sign um, or, or draft. Maybe Jalen Brunson has a team option and they decline that and they open up more money. The I point think it's just, is, it could be it's, simpler. It's, like RJ Toppin quickly Brunson. If you want to throw in Grimes too, that's fine. Like if that's your core and you want to pay for all those guys, you could finagle it so that by 2025, you could have real money to spend if you want. And that's, that's the exact point of the exercise and this whole conspiracy theory, finding ways to open up where look at what the warriors did. They had one of the best teams we've ever seen the best regular season team we have ever seen. They had cap space. Why? Because of Steph Curry and his ankle situation and them capitalizing on that. And because the salary cap jumped so much that they could basically just say goodbye to Harrison Barnes for nothing and use Kevin Durant and sign him with that money. That is essentially what you are trying to replicate, but not being that 2016, 17 Golden State Warriors because the Knicks won't be that level of talent. So a couple things. One, I think if Leon Rose doesn't have a superstar, let me rephrase that. If Leon Rose does not have another star, because I'll, I'll call, I'll call RJ a star. He's a star in the making. He's getting there. Um, if he does not have another star on the roster, I'm, I'm certainly not talking about Julius Randle. Uh, by like he, he will not make it to 2025 if he doesn't get. And I, I don't think Brunson's going to be enough either. Um, I think he needs to get a name on the roster. And I don't know. Does he need to do it in the next year? Does he need to do it in the next two years? I don't know. But I know he ain't making it to 20, 20, 2025. If the names that we're looking at on this cap, that's this is my two cents. I don't say I know. I assume that's my assumption. Or I might be wrong. Um, so, if we operate under that presupposition, um, it doesn't throw all this out the window. But I wonder if he got a star here, a sub star, right? Um, how patient would that person be? Would they be patient enough to say, all right, 
we're going to, you're going to do your thing and you, I mean, let's say they trade for this person next summer, right? Let's say they, or, or maybe even at the trade deadline um, this upcoming year, like would that person be patient enough if that is the direction they went to be like, we're going to try to do our thing here for the next two years. And then we will go after it in 2025 at the very latest with the acknowledgement that like, Hey, maybe we move, make a trade before then or whatever the case may be. That's my only thing that I would throw in there. I hear you, but then couldn't that be said of like getting a player who does well from the draft? Like that seventh I pick think overall, the only, for example. That's the wild card. If they can land a guy, a real guy in the draft and like, you know, I, again, I haven't really dove into this draft as much as I would have liked to, but I think I, I've dove in enough to say that even moving up from 11 to seven, like the odds that they get someone, unless they get... The, here's the, you want to know wild card over this whole freaking conversation. Crazy enough, this guy that hasn't played basketball or organized basketball. Shane and like, Sharp. So, yeah, Shane Sharp. Yes, that's the guy, and that's where moving up from eleven to you're probably going to need to move up to from eleven to seven to get that dude. Maybe they go all in on Shane Sharp and they say that, that we're, we're this is our we are placing our chip on him, and we think that he is going to be the guy who attracts whoever you know in a couple and, of years, and that's similar to what I had in mind. Like that is the player when I was doing this, like, Oh, you know, star when, ceiling. It was shade and it was shade and sharp. When are you ever going to see a situation like this again, where a guy who was rumored to go or not rumored to go rumored to be the number one prospect or no, he was the number one prospect in his class before he reclassified, you know, be able to get that guy in the mid to late lottery. Like that doesn't really happen. I feel like. It doesn't, but it's it's that, and it's also if you're the Knicks, let's say you get from eleven to seven. If you really found a way to get from seven to five, and a player like Jaden Ivey is on the board, like well, he's, he's not saying, gonna, he's but, going but but I'm just four, look, but anything can three. happen. Okay, but any, we're we're splitting hairs. No, crazy shit happens. happens where crazy if, shit happens. If it falls, the Knicks can do something. Like that is my point. Where if you jump twice, because jumping once from eleven to top five is impossible, uh, it just doesn't happen. That is your, that, that's the argument against trading for a star where you're not trading all of the, again, it's unproven talent versus proven talent. But the dis, the difference there is it's like, if you think that a guy like Shaden Sharp or Jaden Ivey or whoever is going to help you, at least from a, like on the court and from an off the court standpoint of like, look at what the Knicks are building. That says something. It buys you more time. And then you don't have to be in a situation where you acquire a star who wants to leave somewhere. And then it's a, it's a ticking talk, right? A ticking clock. Like ticking at what point like do you, do you do something? Where do you like, when do, do things start to happen? When do things get stale? It's hard. It's uh, there's a, you have more, you have more flexibility. Right, because you can still package these players. Yeah, you can watch them develop. That is what you're selling to fans. You say the core four times in the in the rose letter, Leon. Uh, <laughs> like that's an example of how you do that. Flexibility is the name of the game. Well, no, <laughs> being a good basketball team is the name of the game, and then after that, it's flexibility, and more specifically, what kind of good basketball team are you? Because no one wants to be. I feel bad shitting on them because they had a really nice year for a lot of the year, but no one wants to be the bulls, the situation that they're in. And granted, look, Pat Williams could still pop and like maybe something crazy happens, but like you don't want to box yourself in. You want to, you want to be a good basketball team that is on the way up with a real cognizable ceiling. If 
you put another piece, another piece, like whatever, like where you could see it, you could kind of visualize it. Um, yeah, I think Sharp's one to Sharp's one to look for. And like, look, three teams had a chance to draft Luka Doncic and didn't, you know, and that guy's going to be the greatest player of his generation. So like a, a, anything could happen. Um, who knows? We'll see. I, it, man, you're making me excited for draft night. I'll say that. Yeah, I hope so. But again, in conclusion, the change of approach here, right? Like if you know me, you know that I have had a keen focus on like, well, the Knicks are positioned to trade for a star in 2023. It's something I've been very vocal about. And again, as I said, the Donovan Mitchell situation, and we will talk about him because I didn't see him as a top 10 player beforehand. The series before the series, I don't see it after anyway, but it, it did get me thinking about, well, what if, what if the long run is more just like, what if that big trade doesn't materialize? Right? Like, what if the Knicks find a way to just keep digging through the draft, keep trying to take stabs, keep trading up if they have to. Both drafts, we've seen them try to trade up, right? They try to yeah. trade up for Obi Toppin. They still got him at eight. They tried to trade up for Duarte. They didn't do it. They have an interest in these guys and they try to hit doubles when they can't hit home runs. And now you're looking at a team that's, assuming they don't move up, knocking on the door of a top 10 draft pick. And there are ways to go about doing that and getting up there. And that's then how you try to sell it. And you try to develop this talent and you try to have them be star talent down the line, but at, at worst, supporting pieces that can either be beneficial on cheaper contracts so you can sign the big kahunas <laughs> or you can just have them try to become stars. It's easier said than done. I know it is, but that's, that's the approach you take. It is the long view and it does factor in line with the fact that patience can be a virtue and the Knicks are in line to just keep waiting. But we as fans... I mean, we'd love to see the Knicks be a contender tomorrow. Love it today. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen overnight. So if you're looking at the build and you talk about the young talent and it's almost like, yeah, you can make the argument. Why didn't the Knicks just tank? But I'm pretty sure that the logic for them is, look, we can find good talent in the draft because we hire really good people. But we also don't want to be a laughingstock because if the Knicks were a perennial loser, then James Dolan would say, what are we doing here? I'm not seeing the results. I want you gone. And so it's, it's, well, it's, it's also fighting time, but it's, it's doing it in a, in a smarter way than just we'll bottom out and draft. Well, it's freaking hard to draft a superstar, um, you know, and you could be in the, in the right place at the right time and still not do it. And yet, you know, NBA history just, it tells us that if you do, like, it's really hard. Like if you go back and look at any final or the finals for the last, I mean, really all of history, but even if you focus on the last 20 years, either finals participant team that win it or won it, or the team that lost, you're going to find, I mean, the LeBron thing is kind of funny because the Cavs went to the finals for four straight years um, with a play. Like they drafted a superstar, even though he wasn't, like he took a detour before he went back, but like, it's really hard to go to the finals without a superstar on your team that you drafted. It just, um, it doesn't happen a lot. I know there are exceptions, uh, but few. It, there are a few exceptions. There are a few exceptions. There are a few exceptions, like three, four, maybe five, you want to, depending on how you view certain players. Um, Over how long of a period of span though? That's the thing. Like if we're yeah, talking no, about the exceptions. It's not like within the last few years, it's again, it's dating back to the, the Pistons. I know Wallace and G and all those guys. It's 
you know, the lucky, like the Knicks in 99 catching fire. They did. It's it happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. But it's not sustainable. And we want sustainability. I will just throw out one more time. The, the point I brought up about Harden before and um, in terms of might another player come along at a younger age and try to force his way out of town. Again, we have not seen it. We have not seen it yet, but I found good place to end. I found Zion's comments this week in the press conference when he was asked if he would sign the ex- or about so I don't forget what actually the question was, but his answer was like, yeah, if I, if, uh, I can't wait to extend it, I would love to extend here or something like that. Um, and I, I, I would imagine his negotiation stance as his, his agent is going to be, okay, we'll take the max. That is our negotiation. And if it is anything other than that, the negotiation ends. And that's going to be a fascinating uh, decision for New Orleans, whether they want to give the full max or whether they want to try to, I, I don't I don't know what what do you do um if you don't offer that up because he continues to be a guy that I I have my eye on because I you listed him as your in your up and coming category. Um if there's a guy that I personally would look at and be like, oh yeah, I could see him being on that superstar list within a couple of years. It's him. That's all. That's the only thing I want to say. No, that's that's fair. And listen, how many times have we heard about empty promises like I know Kyrie was an, was a pending unrestricted free agent, but he said, I'd, you know, like to be here if you'll have me. And he skipped town. It's a little harder for Zion. And again, I, I will believe the qualifying offer accepted and then get unrestricted free agency route. When oh, I he ain't. Right. So then it's a matter of how you do it. But, um, but I, I just, the one thing I'll end on is again, you brought up how long can the Knicks afford to wait? And I think there's something to be said of like, when is there going to be movement? And then there's the player we're talking about next week yep. in Donovan Mitchell. But then it's also the thought of like, well, what happens if uh, the Jazz continue to hold on to Donovan Mitchell? And Which I think they will, by the way. I agree, but I'm, not, I'm saying beyond next season, right? Like, what if the Jazz cling to him until he has one year remaining and you're the Knicks? And what other stars are there for you to really trade for in 2023 or 2024, because we know the superstars, it ain't happening. But then what stars are really going to help elevate you and are available? And that's then where it gets fascinating because it's like, can they afford to wait? Maybe, but also what else is out there? Like if people are upset that the Knicks haven't made a big trade yet, like who, who, who would it have been since Leon Rose took over? James yeah. Harden was traded twice. One of those was for Ben Simmons, who I know a lot of people wanted. Yeah. Would you really want James Harden? No, there, there's, really there has Simmons? not, Probably there has not. not been any, any big player that has moved that the Knicks like missed, missed that. I mean, you know, there's also the things that we don't know. Like, could they have gotten Dame last summer? Now, again, in retrospect, even if they could have probably would have been a bad fucking idea given how his season went in Portland. Um, who knows? Maybe they revisit that conversation this summer. It wouldn't shock me, but in any case, um, this was really good. I really enjoyed this and I I don't I don't think it's nuts to 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 assume that the Knicks would again like to maintain flexibility that it has been it's incredible 
this the, the the most inflexible organization because they of how they had so badly boxed themselves in through multiple regimes all of a sudden has been the organization with like if you had to pick one word that has been their organizational ethos for the last i don't know through four years five years flexibility and it seems like they want to continue to be flexible so it should be interesting we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Andrew? John? <laughs> Jeremy? <laughs> John? So a couple things. First of all, um, well, I guess three things to be exact. First of all, I don't see Zion Williamson skipping anywhere at the moment, but that's a that's a him thing. Um, hopefully that changes. Best of luck to you in New Orleans. Um, second thing, John, was Chris Paul ever a superstar? Okay. Take way too long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Take way <Yeah>. too long. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think so what so. about him in the year of our Lord 2022 on a chance to win a title on a 64 win team? After going 14 to 14 in a closeout game on the road, I makes him think, not a superstar. I think he's 
uh, he, what is he? 37? He's 36. Yes. Okay. I think he has to pick his spots a little bit more now, which what does that mean? I just think he's a little older and I think he has to pick his spots a little he's bit more. A year younger but, than LeBron James. How's that? Anything and LeBron James is the, the most, is the most freakish athlete. Maybe that's ever walked and, the planet and missed the playoffs. Yes. I understand that. My, my point is if Chris Paul was at one point in time, a superstar, which I, I think he was, um, like he's obviously he's never been like a guy who's going to go out there and like dominate with usage. I'm, I'm trying to say, I, it would not surprise me if he like never had a usage rate over 25. Um, but I want to look that up to be sure. Um, I, I just think there were times in his career where he probably had it in him to just like dominate a playoff series. Um, yeah, like I, a, a guy's not a superstar if he has below a 20 usage rate and he has below a 20 usage rate this year. I think that's why he's the point God and he puts guys <laughs> in better position to succeed so he because had, he's the ultimate example of a, of a superstar point guard. He had a 27 usage rate twice. He had a 25 usage rate one other time and every time else has been below that. Like, like magic John, like, I, I understand the reason, what to interject yeah. usage rate. I hate to use assists as assists per game as this kind of thing, but like he had 10.8 assists per game this year. Uh, before that, I it was 8.9, 6.7, 8.2, 7.9. I understand. 9, 9. I, 2. Like, and that was a big like, part of what is a better playmaker now, which makes him, at least in my mind, a superstar. That to was able a big to do part. That. Yeah. That, that was a big part of what made Magic Johnson a superstar. John Stockton also dished a fuckload of assists. He was never yeah. a superstar. You know, I, I, I think Chris Paul is much closer, much closer to Magic Johnson than he is to John Stockton, to be very clear about that. Um, but like Chris Paul had playoff series in his life where he, I'm just looking at it now, where he averaged, okay, 22 and a half and 12 assists, 21.2, 10 assists, 25 and 10 assists. 24 and change and six assists, mm-hmm. you know, like last year, Western conference finals is probably your best argument. He averaged 24 and nine series before that against Denver, the sweep, he averaged 25 and a half and 10 assists. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the 10th year in his career. Well, where he will basically be top six in MVP voting. Tenth Chris Paul. Year. Yes. Chris Paul's not going to be top 10 in MVP voting. I don't think. I, I don't think Booker I, switched with, took his spot this year, Jeremy. I think like Booker last year, it. I think is the better argument for that. I mean, he was yeah, last five. year. But again, like we're if you're if the conversation is that he's never been that, like this is someone who has consistently been. If, if you want to throw out this year, then go for it. We'll, we'll see what the voting results are. But that's still nine times. Yeah, my question was ever seven, two thousand eight. That's incredible. Yeah, that's my question. Star. My question was, has he ever? And you have not said yes yet. I think he was. And now you're just making me. Uh, he, he's such. I would argue that Chris Paul is one of the five or so toughest players, at least in my lifetime, where to answer that question. Superstar, or not a superstar. To me personally, it's it's a really, really tough because I think there's a part of me that's like, of course, he's a superstar. And then there's another part of me that's like, nah, it's, it doesn't pass the smell test because he's just not. He's not a superstar in the way we've accustomed we become accustomed to viewing a superstar because he's so not you, a guy who's going to go out there and like drop 45 usually, you know? So just to close that loop, the minus you're not a superstar. If you have a minus 20 under 20 usage rate, right? That's, no, that's I, the argument you're making. Cause magic did it three times in the eighties. 
I think it's Two really of which in years he won championships. So was Magic not the superstar and Kareem was? No, Magic was a superstar. Or was James Worthy the superstar because he was passing it to Worthy? Therefore, his usage rate was down. I think it makes it very, was it Michael very, Cooper very difficult. Or Spencer Haywood played by Wood Harris. Again, Magic is one of the more unique sorts in that he dominated games without having to score a lot of points. But when you're is passing Chris it Paul to a top Kareem, five point guard of all time, John. Yeah, of course. Then why would he not be a superstar? He's not a superstar. <laughs> like if you're putting him as one of the five best in the position that he's ever played, that, that anyone's ever played, why is he not a superstar? And since Stockton's in that convo, I think he's also a superstar. Stockton's not. I think. Are you a superstar if you have a statue? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I know. I, know. I, was, I, was, I was kidding. Yeah. You know what? Maybe Chris Paul was. He was at one point. I, I don't I can't put him there right now. I just that's so tough. Look, I personally love that you have this standard. Whether I can make sense of it or not is not my prerogative because it's your standard. I just it makes for a more interesting debate. Listen, I, I don't I, think it's not at all that nonsensical. I just can't completely. It's it's your opinion. So I'm like, okay, I'm I'm getting your opinion on it. It's I like mean, when Nas and Yash asked me about is this guy a Hall of Famer? I'm like, no. And they then throw all these numbers at me, like, okay, no. Using my own test, if like after this series that the the Suns are about to play the Mavs, right? Mm -hmm. If we turn around and be like, yeah, Chris Paul outplayed Luka Doncic in this series. My first thought in hearing that would be like, well, yeah, but he didn't have to do anything close to what Luka had to do. And I think that has a lot to do with it, where at one point in time, Chris Paul like had to do everything for his teams. And he was a superstar at that time. Now, Chris Paul gets to be on a team that I think everybody agrees has the best top to bottom rotation in the league. He also gets to play with another guy who both of you guys seem to think is a superstar. So like he doesn't need to do everything. And that doesn't that have to factor in. So he was a superstar. That's the answer yes. to the question. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he was. Yeah. I just, again, I don't think it needs to be head to head that determines one guy is a superstar and the other, eh, maybe not. Like, that's why I say there are levels like, to this because Luka Doncic to me is way up there in superstar talent. And I still think Chris Paul is too, but he's not way up there. He's like, he's down here, but there's still plenty of room. He's so unique. How does he's that matter? So, like he Alan Iverson, right? Five point guard of all time. Yeah, but it's it's just such a unique discussion. Like some some guys throughout NBA history. Where are you going with that with Allen Iverson, by the way? Like Allen Iverson's a superstar. Okay. Yeah. But Trey Young. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like Allen Iverson, like even for his time, was a brutally inefficient player. Like incredibly inefficient player. But there he had a, a certain something about him. I just gotta be honest. I don't think for your argument, John, you can never include playoff performances or success because like we've thrown multiple one-on-one -on -one examples where superstars were outplayed by players that you perceive are not superstars. Like anything ha could happen in a game. Right. Or even so a then you're, you're really, your argument is, you know, when you see it and it, that is my argument, your gut is like, when I see it, that's a superstar, which I, as somebody who argues against the hall of fame for baseball, certain, for certain people, I respect it. 
like there is a there is a playoff series from three years ago where LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Jimmy Butler shared the court, and I didn't know who the best player was. Like that is a thing that happened. You can say the bubble looked fine, but like Jimmy Butler, there were moments where it's like, oh, I have no idea if he's not if he's the best player in in this series or not, which. We all don't, mind. Don't, we all don't think right. He played like a superstar. Played like <laughs> so a that's superstar why I'm for like, that series. Yeah. He if did. he's not a superstar, then what is the definition? And for you, you know, when you see it. And I think I guess Jeremy and I have a little more lax. I personally think this is the most talent the league has ever had. So I think that's, saying there's 14 I, superstars is a, a, a perfectly fine right. thing to say. It doesn't have to be a cutoff at seven or eight because of yeah. the immense amount of talent that we're seeing. It's just other guys are getting snubbed, but. Like there is a, you know, it when you see it factor, but you can also widen the pool because you have the old guard and the new guard and then the guys in between. And it's unlike anything I think we've truly ever seen. There've obviously been old guards and new guards, but the crossover, it's just the talent, as you're saying, Andrew, it's so massive that it's just different now. It's different than it was 10 years ago. I'm also on this YouTube kick lately where I'm rewatching games from the sixties. Don't ask me why. Okay, maybe it's just that's a break, awesome. I love a that break from wedding planning at this point. That's but great. Like, but like, I rewatched the uh, game seven from 1963 um, or 64, whichever the first of the game sevens between the Celtics and Lakers, and like Don Nelson's shooting form might be the worst I've ever seen in my life, and he's starting for the Boston Celtics, and I'm just looking at the screen like. Like Julius Randle would dominate. Like if you put him in this series and like now subbing Julius Randle, we would regard him as the greatest player of all time because of how much he dominated the court that night. And I just, I just look at the 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 league now, and it's like Julius Randle is probably the one hundredth, one twentieth. If you go by usage, it's even worse than that, or high or high volume. Uh, it's even worse than that. So I just I, I think it actually to the amount of talent the league has right now is appropriate to say, oh yeah, we got like like a, a dozen superstars in this league. And I, I say I any, say eight, but that's fine. That's fine. That's the, again, you know it when you see it, even if we don't see it. So I'm going through. Yeah, I'm looking at the list. Dominique Wilkins is a tough one too. When you said Ewing wasn't was the first time I was like, oh, this is this is different. Like I I, I kind of want to know. Who you consider all superstar? Then, if a guy that was on the best player, like I'll give you another one, had, Derek, Derek Rose, unequivocally a superstar for before he got hurt for a year and a half, yeah, or for two years, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this: Do you then view Pat more similarly to how we seem to view Jimmy Butler? Yeah, Pat played yeah, against the team and sure. went head to head for a series. And if for sure, someone Pat, so su- it's, it's if it's, someone it's, makes it's, a substitution in Game Seven, then he's got a he's got a championship over a team too. So is it maybe like he's not a superstar, but he is a super star kind of thing? Like he's the <laughs> sure. one guy yeah, who's absolutely. below, like he's next in line, but he can't quite get into the club. He's a star that plays superb. Like yes. I'm just, I'm like, I'm looking at the list of like of players throughout history. I mean, I don't know. In my mind, there, I definitely don't think there's 50 superstars in NBA history. I'm wondering if I think there are 30. Do I think there are 35? Oh, that's fun. This is a Patreon. No, this is a Patreon pod officially. John, you're, we're, we're getting your superstars ever now. Okay. I mean, we, listen, like I'm, Jason not kids all 70, I'm not saying all 75 guys that were named are superstars, but like they're not. Right. Wasn't but I James Worthy on the fucking list? Yes. Right. So it was Ray Allen. So, oh, Ray Allen was or wasn't? Ray Allen was on the 75. Ray Allen was on the top 75. Yeah. So, and you don't think he is? No. Yeah. Reggie Miller, you don't think he is? So there are superstars. Man, Reggie, Miller, Reggie Miller is another one that's so hard. 
So they're superstars and they're guys that can play like superstars, but aren't superstars. Yeah. Reggie Miller had a lot of superstar <laughs> moments. I know that. Jeremy, I feel like this makes us. I feel like the Seinfeld gift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just <laughs> no, enough internet for today. You guys want to do the quickest producer's corner of all time? Sure. Okay, because I th- this that superstar slide, Jeremy might have have some legs. Is all I'm going to say. The reaction, be prepared, and I may have to force you to go on Twitter, John. Um, so I went back and forth with how to incorporate the week that was because there's no Knicks news. And for the rest of the Big Apple, there was some pretty big sports news. The Yankees have won nine in a row. At the moment, the Mets are up six to four. Dear God, please stop pitching to Kyle Schwarber, Buck Showalter. Um, I thought I could incorporate some type of no hitter trivia, but there just isn't a correlation between no hitters and basketball. Um, Side note, um, I told John this, Jeremy, but uh, here's how a conversation Friday morning went for me. Me to my fiance. Want to go to the Mets game tonight? My fiance in return. Actually, it's going to be cold. Let's go to a movie instead. Me in return. Uh, Okay, sure. Mets pitch a no hitter on Friday. I'll let you guys know if the wedding is still on. Um, Instead, I decided to go with some draft trivia because the NFL NFL draft happened this week. Those who joined us on playback got to see me react live to the night the Jets and Giants had. Um, Those who want to rewatch those reactions, as well as Benji, John, and myself react to the three playoff games that happened were amazing. They are available on Knicks Film School's Patreon. Just sign up for the Mel Monroe or Ewing tier. Um, The Jets and Giants had two first round picks going in and the Jets ended up trading in to get a third. But I wondered if you guys knew the amount of times in the NBA draft history, how many times the Knicks have had two picks in the first round? Obviously, that two. Yes, two, um, at least two. Um, obviously, the NBA draft being a little different because there's only two rounds. Or at least there now are only two rounds. There used to be as many as eight way back in the day. Um, but if you had to, if I said uh, over under four times that they've had at least two, that at least two first round picks, what would you say? Over. Okay, over under five. I'm going to go ahead and say seven or eight. So what's the answer? I'll go, I don't know, I'll go eight. Jeremy? <sighs> I mean, I know they had three in 96. Yeah, I'll go seven. It is seven. Well done, Jeremy. Nice job. Okay, so I'm going to go through all seven years. You tell me the two or three players that were drafted and what picks they were. So 2021, who were the two picks that they made? Because they did technically have two picks that they made. Oh, we're doing this? Yes. So who are the Kai two Jones, players? That the Knicks Kai Jones and... Uh, who was Jeremy? Quentin Grimes and Kai Jones. Quentin Grimes was technically the Clippers. I was about pick. to say it wasn't his. Uh, all right. Who was taken at twenty one, and then they traded James Johnson. Keon, no, Johnson. that was twenty. Yeah, Keon Johnson. Yes, no, so James. Nine. But was that the, the other guy? Also Keon traded Johnson? from twenty. Wait, was Kai Jones is the other guy? It's Kai Jones and Keon Johnson. Okay, great. So we got those two. Okay, because it was twenty one to twenty five. It wasn't twenty one to twenty three to twenty five. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Twenty three is the next year I, in which yeah. they had eight and twenty three. Who were the two picks? Jeremy first, and then top and uh, at eight, and who who went at twenty three that they then traded to eventually Bol- take Emmanuel. Was Quigley. it Balmero? Mm, yes, it was. Yes, Leon, Leonardo Leandro Balmero. Yeah. Okay, then two thousand five, they took two players, David Lee and uh, and who's the Channing, eighth pick? Channing uh, Channing Fry. Fry, friend of the pod, Channing Fry, and then they traded for the pick that was Nate Robinson afterwards. Yes, exactly. Um, 
1996, 18, 19, and 21. Let Jeremy try to answer this. Was one of them McCarthy? Yes, yes. Walter McCarthy with the 19th pick. Uh, I can't remember the, like, what was it? 18, Syracuse. 18 and 21. 18 is a, as John mentioned, was from Syracuse. Well, I know that one of these picks came from Miami. Uh, right? Maybe. I'm, I didn't it was write the, down. It was, the the Riley, it was the Riley pick, yeah. Was that yeah, McCarthy? I'm, that might be. I, I didn't write down what the trade compensation was, but um, yeah, these are listed as three Knicks picks, though. I feel like wasn't one of them a white guy? No, all three. No. Then I, was, yeah. I know it wasn't Kiki Vandaway, obviously, because no. you're about 10, I, you're about 15 years off. Yeah. Well, I was also a little over one. Yeah, I was going to so, say uh, <laughs> you were born in 95. 94, 95. Okay. So this is like, you're Christ. one years old for this. You're okay. Uh, I actually don't remember who it is other than John Wallace. Who's the other guy? John Wallace, Walter McCarthy and McCarthy. McCarthy excuse me. And Dante Jones. Dante Jones. Yeah. 1994. They had the 24th pick and the 26th pick. Charlie Ward. Charlie yeah, Ward. You know 24 is. Wasn't alive. He is going to win. Coach He's going to win year. coach of the NBA this year. Monty Williams. Monty Williams. <laughs> yeah, yes. Monty Williams. Um, 1979, they had oh, three picks, three, nine, and 21. Is there any chance you guys know who this I'll is? I guess one. Who? Was, was that the Bill Cartwright year? Bill Cartwright, yes. That this is the be, third I pick guess. in the draft. And then you got nine and 21. Toby Knight? I don't know. No. <laughs> Do you have any, any guesses, Jeremy? It would have been Bill Cartwright. Okay. So at nine, they... Hold on. Well, at I'm looking nine, up a name. They took someone named Larry Demick. Never heard of him, but oh, I was three years off. I just I was I just looked up Lonnie Shelton. But that was ah. 1976. Anyway, so 1979 with the third pick, they took Bill Cartwright with the ninth pick. They took Larry Demick out of Arizona. And with the 21st pick, they took Sly Williams out oh. of Rhode Island. Okay. Um, congrats. You made it to a pod in 2022. Um, and then this is a tricky one in 1965. This is the last one. Um, they technically only had one pick, but they took one, took somebody in the territorial draft back uh, in sixty five. In sixty five, so do you guys do you guys know what the territorial draft is? Do you want me to explain it, Jeremy? You know what it is? It had to do with location, basically. Yeah, the players so, in your area back then so because in, the league was so unpopular. Actually, John, go ahead, explain it. Yeah, no, I mean for I think it was about twenty years this existed. Um, teams that. Uh, they wanted to, yeah, build a popularity of the league. So if a, it had, I forget what the mileage was, but if you were within 50. a certain it was 50, 50 miles, miles yeah. within 50 miles of where a guy went to college, you got um, the rights to that player. And in 1965, I believe the Knicks were one mile closer to Princeton, New Jersey than Philadelphia. Yeah. So they got the rights to a guy who would go on, spend a couple of years playing overseas uh, and now sees his number hanging in the rafters. Yes. Bill Bradley is yeah. the name of the guy. Um, and then with the, I, I don't pick, know who the other guy is. The other pick, uh, they took Dave Stallworth. Oh, that was the year they took Dave Stallworth. Okay. Yes. Yes. A lot of names I didn't realize were on the territorial draft. Um, oh like my I'm, God. Will Chamberlain, the, Will Chamberlain on the territorial draft, 1959. Territorial draft was a big fucking deal for a very long time. Yeah. Oscar Robertson, territorial draft. Dave DeBusher, territorial draft. 1965 is the last one, by the way. 
So this yes, is that was the that I know yeah. that was the last year of the territory because they were like, oh, this is stupid. Let's let's actually like, do a draft. So my grandmother anyway. actually saw Wilt play in high school. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. From Philly. So uh, I'm, I won't curse her too much because I like you and therefore I, I won't hate your grandmother for being from Philly. Thank you. I mean, she was a Red Sox fan. Not. Oh, even left. worse. <laughs> the A's went, you know, to Kansas City and then she needed a team and she was, uh, she later moved to the New England area. So Mets are up 7-4 on the Phillies now. So the, even uh, I'll, I'll take the, the victory against Philly tonight. Wait a minute. Phil Jackson wasn't a first round pick. He was a second round pick. Uh, he might have been their only first round pick that year. Again, this was two first round picks. No, um, Jackson and unless I'm really off here, uh, Jackson and uh, Frazier were. Let me look. Hmm. Hold on. 1960. What is Walt Clyde Frazier? Phil Jackson uh, was. Uh, so Phil Jackson was the 17th pick of the draft, which is the second round. Yeah. Not enough teams. Frazier yeah. went fifth. Yes. And then yeah. Jackson went. Yeah. So yep. in a 10 team league. Yes. No, 12 teams. 12 well, there teams were 12 at the time. For, yeah. Okay. 12 teams Man, at the time. How about, how about this for a draft? Second pick in 1960. We could end after this. Uh, 1967 draft. First overall pick, Jimmy Walker out of Providence. Mm. Um, scored 11,000 points in his career. Second overall pick, Earl Monroe. Um, one pick ahead of Walt Frazier at four to Detroit. Sonny Dove played 57 NBA games, scored 398 points. Seventh pick that year, a gentleman by the name of Pat Riley. And then, um, yeah, 17th overall, second round, Phil Jackson. Trivia. Crazy times. Go. Look at us going back to the 1960s for these pods. <laughs> I yeah. love this shit. I do too. Listen, this stuff is great. That, shout out to winning time. I got so enamored with how inaccurate the show is that I went back to watch the real thing. And now it's got me on this, this kick of old basketball. Look at this. Yeah. The Knicks in the fifth round that year selected <laughs> LIU's own Barry Leibowitz, who played zero minutes in the NBA. Dog, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Walker. Do you know his famous son? Jimmy Walker's famous son. I'm pretty Johnny? sure that's it. No, no. I believe his son is Jalen Rose. Let me double check that. That sounds correct. That is correct. Because he never, he, I mean, I'm not going to get too into the, the weeds on yeah. this, but I'm pretty sure Jimmy Walker never, also never knew Jalen Rose. So, yep, children, they're Jalen Rose. They talk about this on the Fab 530 for 30. The part of Jalen's, um, the chip on his shoulder is that he had a professional ball player that, um, that played in the NBA and did not know him. And here he was a scout and a prospect and had to do it kind of on his own. It's also why he has an ax to grind against Duke, which uh, okay. I respect, you know, because they don't look at inner cities for their talent. I'm looking at Barry Leibowitz's uh, basketball reference page, by the way, if I seem a little distracted. I wonder if he has the same shooting form as Don Nelson is, is my question. If all of them just kind of went to the Don Nelson school of shooting back in the day, I'm begging you. If there's one thing you take from this, this long producer's corner, everybody go look up Don Nelson shooting a free throw in the 1969 NBA finals. And then wonder why there's such a dismissal to the Russell Chamberlain era. That is all I ask you to do. I just think it's cool. What were you going to say, Jeremy? No, just going to wrap up whenever you're ready, John. I I was just going to say, I think it's cool that Barry Leibowitz was the, I guess the backup point guard 
for the 1977, 67, uh, 68 um, ABA champs, Pittsburgh Pipers featuring um, superstar Connie Hawkins. Ah, superstar? Connie Hawkins? Oh, superstar. And was for, Jerry- unfortunately, by the time he got to the NBA, the superstar days were just about over. Was Jerry West a superstar? Was Bill Russell a superstar? Was Elgin Baylor a superstar? Thank you, uh, Jeremy Cohen, for today's wonderful presentation. Was Don Thank- Nelson a superstar? Star in your role. Uh, that was Don Nelson. He was uh-huh. a star as a eccentric coach. Um, that's the best I could do. You know who's a superstar, Andrew? You. You're a superstar. I, I'm a, a galactic star. Okay. Um, and Praz. Was it Praz? Huh? Ghetto superstar? No. It's a Way over my head on that one. What? DJ, DJ Mack over here. Ghetto superstar? Oh, come on. Jeremy, you really do you know, don't who, know that? Jeremy, do you know who, what he's talking about? I know if I heard it, but I it's not ringing any bells. Maya? Oh, then just say Maya. I've, I've, do you know how long it's been since I've heard that song? Probably like when you were being a DJ. Yeah, it's prize. That's I, I was okay. crazy. Yes, it was. Man. And ODB? Well, I know who ODB is, John. <laughs> yes. The, okay. the, the guy from the Dave Chappelle studio. <laughs> oh, All right. Thank you, Uh, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week.